Hey, I'm Mike Drucker, and I'm opening my album recommendation for Mintrax. Got an email from Jason here. We're going to see what the pick is for this week. Steely Dan, The Royal Scam. Okay. <laughs> Weird Al, Bad Hair Day. I know of Steely Dan, and I know some of their songs, so we'll see how this goes. That's awesome. I'm very excited. But, you know, hey... I'm pro Weird Al. I'm not a, I'm not a monster. Also, I am very bad at music, so this will be fascinating. Welcome to Mintrax, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson, joined by producer Jason Daphnis. Hello again. Uh, find us on iTunes. Leave us a review. Uh, I'm being held at knife point by Ben Hansen of MinMax, telling you to uh, leave us a review on iTunes. And uh, more importantly, we have a great special guest today. We're very excited to have him. Uh, we're happy to welcome Mike Drucker to the show. Hey, Mike. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this should be fun. It'll be a little different than the usual. Um, so, Mike, if you don't know who he is, you can follow him on at Mike Drucker. On Twitter, uh, Mike has a background actually both in video games and uh, comedy and the entertainment industry. Uh, I know you worked for Nintendo and also as a, re- a reporter for IGN. Uh, more recently, he has done stand-up com- comedy uh, and has been a writer for uh, Samantha B, Jimmy Fallon, and also uh, Bill Nye. So, um, you know, been having a lot of success in that in that zone. So, uh, welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. I want to clarify one thing. I was not a reporter for IGN, so anyone who's mad at reporters, please don't come after me. No. Oh, I, right. wrote, I, wrote, I wrote dumb, funny videos for them and then would have been fired if I didn't leave. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, maybe you were ahead of the curve. <laughs> anyone who's mad at video game reporters, I was not one. Yeah, you can be mad at me. I used to be. and I was. No, I respect I was... video game reporters. But every time I write something about a video game, someone's like, you know, am I allowed to swear? <laughs> please you know but like it'd be like fucking game reporters i'm like well i mean i'm not a game reporter which is the wrong thing to think first anyway um <laughs> yeah you know I, I was a big part of gamergate and that secret cabal that controlled journalism <laughs> for a long time um, oh god yeah yeah you guys um, were paid like twenty five thousand dollars a year were controlling the media Woo! yeah it was it was a uh, it was a good paycheck at least um so as as, as everyone knows the show is you know i pick a, an album for mike to listen to Mike picks an album for me to listen to, and we're going to start off with Mike's. It's just a uh, intro to this. Usually, I mean, I don't want to. I want to be surprised by it, but I also sometimes when I'm doing the, the the pick, I might ask like, you know, what are they into? Are they super into like heavy metal or rap? Right. And and Jason was like, I almost guarantee it's going to be one specific album. And I said, okay, like, what is Mike into? Like, could you break it down by a style? And he said, if I told you anything, you would instantly guess it. So no. <laughs> and uh, I think he's right because it's kind of hard to put uh, many comparisons on the artist we're going to get into, who is Weird Al Yankovic, the legend mm-hmm. of uh, comedy and music, Bad Hair Day, the uh, 1996 album. Um, so I guess starting off, Mike, just talk a little bit about maybe why you chose this album, what Weird Al means to you personally, and, and maybe what this album means to you personally. Um, well, it was the first album I ever bought with my own money. I was in either the fifth or sixth grade. And like I, you know, obviously I listened to music. My dad owned music. So it wasn't my introduction to music, but it was definitely the first album where I went into a store, 
handed money to someone and walked out with a cassette tape. It was on cassette. Um, also, I don't know why, but Weird Al, and I know that this is sort of a overall nerd thing, but Weird Al was kind of the musician when I was a kid that I really connected with. I think because he was goofy. I think because as a kid, my dad, my dad was a huge rock fan until about like the 90s, sort of after the 90s, he stopped really listening to new music. But he was such a fan of this deathly serious music that I kind of not rebelled against it because I was too young to really rebel, but it was more like I was so bummed out by all the music we'd listen to on car trips that, <laughs> um, that I was like, Oh, this is fun. This is something that's cheerful and, and goofy. And I can relate to it. Like, I don't relate to like, you know, I don't relate to shooting the sheriff. You know, I don't <laughs> relate to the horse with no name. Like I, yeah. I don't relate to those things, but I do relate to goofy weirdos. Sure. Were you uh, already sort of as a kid, did you find yourself being drawn to comedy, which I know you've done a lot of, um, or was it just more you just enjoyed the music as sort of a fun thing? I really liked comedy. I didn't know I was going to do comedy until sure. maybe college. I always thought I was going to become a computer programmer, and that's what I thought I was going to do up until high school when I realized I'm very, very bad at programming. So it was one of those things where I, you know, I didn't have that thing where I wanted to be a rock star. I didn't have that thing where I wanted to be a professional athlete. I kind of was like, I want to make video games. And when that didn't happen and I got to college, I sort of just explored the space and some of my friends were doing comedy and that's when I got into doing it. So this is the first album. I'm assuming if it was the first album you ever bought, you spent a significant amount of time with this then. Was it yeah. kind of constantly in rotation? Yeah. I also, when we were in the sixth grade, we had to do, we took this music appreciation class and everyone had to bring in an album to play. And the teacher uh, was very open to most music. You know, kids would bring in uh, Nirvana or Green Day, I'm guessing. I can't remember exactly what people brought in, but people brought in albums of that era. It didn't sure. have to be some strict old timey music. And he was very open to it and he would talk about it. And when I brought that cassette in, he was so mad at me. He was so, <laughs> he was, he said, it's not real music. He thought I was making fun of the assignment. And I was genuinely bringing in and being like, I have listened to this tape dozens of times. This is music that actually does mean something to me as a kid. And it was this defining moment where I was like, oh, this is not going to be an easy road being into this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did you use to convince him then? Like, uh, He had no other options. Like, it was my day to present <laughs> and there were no other albums. So he was like, all right, fine, put it on. But he was so critical throughout my presentation and he was so convinced that Weird Al was not a real musician. Did you get grades for anything at that point? Or was it just a judgmental look at the end? I think, I don't remember what grade I got. I'm sure, I don't remember having a bad grade for the class. So I'm sure I got like a B or something. I think he was just very judgmental of the choice. I actually sure. did the assignment, so I don't think he held it against me, but he was very mad at the choice. I wonder where that man is today. <laughs> he's dead. I know. I know oh, for a fact damn. he's dead. <laughs> well, I think I think that there's a lesson for all of us. If you don't remember right. now, you're going to die. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think like everyone, I, I I really cracked up when I heard this. I think I did correctly guess though in the intro that that Amish Paradise might have been the single just based on the year '96. So I was happy yeah. that I, I guessed that. Um, so why don't we get into that, Jason? Just because I mean, this is kind of the 900 pound gorilla on the album in terms of the hit that that was you know really big on MTV at that time. And, and, you know, I think the one that probably most people would know. 
As I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain, I take a look at my wife and realize she's very plain. But that's just perfect for an Amish like me. You know I shun fancy things like electricity. At 4.30 in the morning, I'm milking cows. Jebediah feeds the chickens and Jacob plows. Fool, and I've been milking and plowing so long that even Ezekiel thinks that my mind is gone. I'm a man of the land, I'm into discipline. Got a Bible in my hand and a beard on my chin. But if I finish all of my chores and you finish thine, then tonight we're gonna party like it's 1699. Oh, we best spend... Uh. So that's that's the big hit, as, as I'm sure everyone is familiar probably with either this or the Coolio hit, Gangster's Paradise. Um, it was kind of interesting for me just to hear it again. It did strike me that I, I wonder today if this would fly or it would be considered a little bit on the edge. But that's maybe just the nature of comedy, I think. Yeah. Um, did you listen to this again this week, Mike? Oh, yeah, I definitely listened to it again this week. <laughs> Yeah, and this is just my own thing that I, I found interesting is that, you know, the parody songs, I think, were for me almost like when I was younger and maybe my ear was more like, you know, fat or the Michael Jackson video and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, but I think they were probably the least interesting thing to me now just because as time goes on, especially some of the songs, which I uh, I'd sort of forgotten about that U2 song from the Batman Forever soundtrack that he parodies oh it's yeah like yeah industry and also I, it just struck me that you know a uh syndicated which is a parody of like a third tier soul asylum song about watching reruns of like 70s tv shows and things is probably to a kid today like makes learning no about like, the, the dead sea scrolls or something it's such <laughs> a you know like vanished world and that band you know some of the some things really kind of persist like i think amish paradise and the gangsters paradise people would still kind of know as a pop culture culture reference today and maybe i even think lump which i thought gump the forrest gump one actually still worked pretty well that might have been my favorite of the parodies yeah in in retrospect i would say but it's, it's kind of funny that some of these songs were big enough to be parodied by weird Allen and have sort of almost disappeared you know even for me who was you know kind of grew up in that alternative era and stuff um, yeah so that was kind of interesting what was your did you have any reflections on on the parody stuff now coming back? Um, you know, obviously some of them I've listened to less than others. I definitely, I think Amish Paradise, the most gump than the other two, far, far less. What always strikes me though, one is I think that uh, what sort of divides Weird Al from a lot of like, you know, like drive time radio parodies, because I don't know if it still happens, but when I was a kid, again, would like drive with my dad, he'd have it to, um, you know, different local equivalents of Howard Stern. And they would always have their own little like pop culture parody songs, yeah, but they were totally. kind of awful. Like a zoo crew. Like the a zoo crew. Could, yeah, yeah. Um, and if you listen to a lot of Weird Al stuff, like especially Amish Paradise, the lyrics are so clever and they are so well done. And it's almost interesting to listen to it just like if you without thinking of the song it's parodying, just like going through the lyrics, it's packed with jokes, including like a reference to Gilligan's Island. It just has so many different things in it. And that always is so interesting to me how much he packs into his lyrics. You know, obviously the lyrics might not be deep in the sense that a lot of people like deep lyrics in terms of there's a lot of love and lost or something, or, you know, you know, this is about, you know, the big bopper dying in a plane crash. 
but uh but you know but but the the amount of 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 efficiency in his writing is so incredible to me as a comedy writer now also what also strikes me is and i always forget this because you know i'm at a point where i'll listen to his music and i know which songs are parodies but they're so natural to me 20 something years later that i don't immediately think of them as parodies i'll just listen to the album is there are fewer parodies on that album than there are original songs yeah, I was going to say that, and I think that's really true. I mean, throughout his older stuff, and I don't, I'm assuming even to his later albums, I probably the last one I would have known is like that one was all about the Pentiums or somewhere in there. Yeah. But I mean, he's probably done more original material than parodies, or at least equal, I would say. Yeah. Because all his albums always had original songs, which I wanted to get into those in a little bit. Another thing, just to get back to the skill level that you were talking about, um, you know, oftentimes, now, if you see a parody, you know, on YouTube or I guess TikTok now or whatever, usually it's people just kind of going over an instrumental of that track. Um, with Al, though, you can tell that these are all kind of replayed and rearranged. He's trying to get as close to, as he can to yeah. the original arrangement, but it's clearly like him and maybe his, you know, s- studio musicians are are playing this song. And it was kind of impressive to me, especially on, on some of the ones where the original it's just sort of out of his range or a little more production or electronics heavy, particularly uh, cavity search, which is the parody of U2's hold me, throw me, kiss me, kill me. Yeah. And also uh phony calls, which is waterfalls by TLC, which is my least favorite song on the album. By yeah. The way. It's that's kind of uninspired. It almost feels like he just thought of that name. Yeah. And that was about it. However, on that song, you know, he is doing a pretty good approximation of then modern, you know, electronic R and B production. Or the U2 song has a lot of kind of stuff going on in the track as well. Yeah. And I, I thought that was sort of impressive because, you know, it's not like he's getting notes and things from TLC and U2. So he's just got to listen to these records and, and sit in a studio and be like, okay, I think this is what they were doing there. Which yeah. is, is kind of a, he makes it seem very seamless. And I, I think this is also true of Amish Paradise, I think is replayed as well. But that that's, can't be easy to do, you know, especially with stuff that has a little bit more uh, in terms of arrangements and, you know, synthesizers and, and beats and samples. Right. I mean, it really shows that he understands how the songs are put together, too, um, which is which is sort of what bothers me. It's I feel like he I think in the late 90s, early 2000s, he sort of went through. Critically, I mean, like just the way he was thought of pop culturally as sort of this like bottom of the barrel person. I think he's sort of had a renaissance since then and he's much more appreciated. But the sense that he's not a musician, like he understands how those songs work. And, you know, I saw him live maybe one or two years ago and it sounds good. Like, and it's not it's not pre-recorded. He has a whole band, including himself playing, and it sounds amazing. So he definitely knows what he's doing. I think, again, that's what divides him from those drive time radio guys is it's not like this song is stupid. We're going to make fun of it. It's almost like we're going to take this song apart and put it back together with entirely different lyrics. Yes. And, you know, I think you are right. I mean, now I feel like he's sort of comfortably settled into this sort of just universally liked kind of pop culture icon, say, you know, in the same way that Alex Trebek or yeah. Snoop Dogg or, you know what I mean? I just think he's kind of a guy that people generally like and you know have fond feelings about and seems pretty cool on twitter you know i so i think i'm I'm happy for him i feel he's he's sort of landed in this space where now he's just going to sort of be appreciated as as a sort of cult figure for the rest of his life yeah um 
Okay, so this is getting back, and I wanted to play a little bit off what you were talking about with the, the drive time DJs, which were sort of, you know, around the same time he was coming up. I think that sort of morning zoo crew thing in, in maybe the mid to late 70s and early 80s was kind yeah. of coming up as well. Um, and there's probably precursors to this, you know, parody stuff. I know there was like Spike Jones and and maybe the Smothers Brothers and things like that. Dr. Demento. Dr. Demento. Yeah. And, um, but I think Al definitely kind of I mean, codified a lot of these things in a very accessible way and sort of put his stamp on it. And I was thinking about it now. He almost, it's like he was so successful at doing something like that, that he almost made himself irrelevant because now you could almost argue that it's sort of weird Al's world. You know what I mean? In, yeah. in the old days, it was kind of like he was poking fun at entertainment or, you know, musicians that were taken very seriously. And now it's almost like when you could point to everything from, you know, Lonely Island um, who could be sort of a, you know, a influenced by him in a way, but just the whole idea of just parroting stuff. I mean, now it's like if a rap song comes out the next day, there's like a, you know, acoustic folk cover of it, or, you know what I mean? There's that bluegrass version of gin and juice. I feel like his yeah. kind of formula is just pretty much everywhere, especially on YouTube and, and, you know, stuff like TikTok and Vine and, and Twitter. It's, it's kind of interesting. I definitely agree with that. I think, no, I think you're right. I think in terms of codifying things, he also, and he might, he probably, he was he definitely wasn't the only person to do this, but I think he was one of the first really big mainstream successes, at least in my mind. And maybe it's different. You know, I don't know British musical comedy that well. So obviously I could be totally missing a major figure in this movement, but he was kind of, to my mind, one of the first people doing parodies of songs where the songs could kind of hold up on their own. You know, in terms of being funny and being interesting to listen to, like Amish Paradise, obviously, especially at the time, it's much funnier having heard Gangster's Paradise because of how serious that song is. But listening to it now, you don't even have to think about Gangster's Paradise. It doesn't just feel like it's a parody of a song. It exists on its own. And that's what happens with a lot of these covers that we see now, like acoustic covers of things. Yes, it's better when you know the song, but like I'll listen to something like... um was it uh, Scott Bradley's postmodern jukebox? And some of those songs, I don't know that well, but I enjoy listening to their cover of it. And so it feels less like it's a fun play on something and more an original creation based on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And uh, you know, this also just Amish paradise. I was just thinking about that when you said it, another thing, and, and you obviously are, I'm sure are very familiar with comedy movies, but just Amish paradise and, you know, some of his other stuff, like all about the Pentiums, just that whole idea of the kind of, like white person yeah, that's nerdy kind of rapping in a hardcore way or just in, you know, in every comedy movie where there's that scene where like, there's like four white people yeah. that are kind of like square and they walk out of a building in slow motion yep. to like, you know what I mean? Like a really hardcore rap song. That's kind of like a visual gag that's been done a million times. But I mean, in a way, I think that, you know, that kind of, I mean, the joke is just the dichotomy between Al's persona and like, the idea of being like kind of a hardcore gangster rapper and stuff, but that kind of, I think that inherent joke you see repeated just over and over now. Yeah. Yeah. And again, he was doing that with Michael Jackson, sort of being the awkward person doing what the cool person was doing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I wanted to also touch just because this is probably what I was struck more by as I was um, listening to this, just because I think I probably heard this at some point, but you tend to just in your memory, you remember the, you know, the parody songs, but um, there's a few songs in here where it's like, 
it kind of enforces that point you were bringing up that he's just a really pretty great musician. Uh, one song, Jason, which you want to play it is everything, you know, is wrong. Yeah. Um, and this one is, I, I feel like he's trying to kind of make fun of, they might be giants. I'm not sure if that's true. Um, but it's, it's kind of an amazing, just like very traditional, almost Beatles influenced pop song. And I, I think it's super well done. But yeah, again here, if you listen to this song, and obviously the, the lyrics are funny, but from a structural aspect, you know, it's not that different than, you know, something like, I don't know, Mr. Blue Sky by ELO or a Billy Joel song, you know, yeah. it's, it's that very kind of classic pop, you know, it's kind catchy. of stick. Yeah, it's super catchy. It's a very 60s and 70s kind of pop songwriting. Um, and I mean, he, he really has it down. It's got, you know, a chorus and a bridge and it's, it's, it's fairly complex chord changes. And I mean, he really, he knows what he's doing. I mean, and he's obviously spent so much time probably studying and listening to, to songs, maybe to parody them that I think he's kind of like internalized a lot of that kind of professional songwriting vibe. Absolutely. And I think it is, if I remember, it's like a tribute to, um, they might be giants. So you're right. It is a, they might be giants tribute. Okay, but it's, it's so like well, that. like if they sang it, you would believe it was them. It's sort of like on his, one of his previous albums when he did Dare to be Stupid, which was a tribute to Devo. And Devo actually said that they were kind of mad at the song because it was such a good Devo song. Like they were almost mad that it wasn't actually their song. Um, and he's <laughs> yeah. so good at like that. And that's sort of what I like about original songs like this that are more tributes to styles because those those work even better when you do know the real music because you don't have to compare it to something or go, oh, they're doing this song. You're like, oh, he captured their style super well. Yeah, absolutely. I And and I don't know, they might be giants, you know, they're kind of like, you know, weird Al for people that went to like private school or something. You know? <laughs> I like uh, they might be giants. I went to public school, no, but I, I saw do, them on I, Tiny Toons Adventures. I like, I actually like they might be, you know, but, but they're, they're sort of funny. They're maybe a little more highbrow than him, but I mean, I, yeah. and they're also very, I think very good songwriters and on, on a lot of things. Um, let's get into another one that I, I felt stuck out, which was, uh, we're going to go to the second verse. Cause I remember Larry, I think is very funny and we're going to skip past that part, but it sort of just starts off talking about, Oh, this guy that well, wasn't that funny, how he kind of you know made fun of me. And then it kind of escalates where Larry's sort of torturing this guy. And then, and maybe this is kind of uh, typical of like a certain stripe of nerd humor, but it takes a very kind of dark turn after the second chorus. And we're going to, we're going to start there, but this, I think is another one where it's just a very well-written uh, kind of pop rock song. 
Then it, this is kind of like a Beatles kind of fade out. But anyway, in the previous verse, he kills Larry basically, and like I think <laughs> chops his body up in a garbage bag. <laughs> um, Which isn't like again far far from someone who like you know like Warren Zevon Zevon Zevon. I've never heard it said out. Warren Zevon, I think Zevon. Um, again, I'm bad at music, so I only have seen and read things. Uh, but like, if you look at some of Warren Zevon's music, it's not that far from what Weird Al's doing in that song. No, yeah, like Excitable Boy. That right, song. exactly, exactly. Um, and this, uh, I also wanted to play this because this, I, for, I totally forgot about this as sort of being a uh, staple part of the Weird Al universe, the Weird Al cinematic universe, um, is the alternative polka, which is sort of a, I think he does, does he do this on every album, basically, where he takes kind of modern day hits I forget if it's every album, but he does it on a lot of them. He definitely did it on a lot of the later ones. I don't know if he did it on the earlier ones, but I could be totally remembering it in reverse, too. But anyway, it's common. I think that this year that this came out, 96, was probably the height of like alternative rock. I think this one is particularly funny because that period of music and particularly some of the artists that he chooses, I think I'm going to have Jason skip to uh 125 which is nine inch nails but you know that was a very like self-serious and kind of dour era of music in a lot of ways you know and and i think that there's a funny kind of tension between (laughs) it's kind of goofy uh like hyper polka thing and and sort of the lyrics that he's singing and then sort of how seriously a lot of 90s artists really took themselves (laughs) yeah There's just something about the kind of vaudeville little effects that he he censors yeah. the word the, the word fuck on that Nine Inch Nails song that just really cracked me up. Um, I just thought that yeah, that was so funny, especially just you know, especially Trent Reznor, who's you know, uh, you know, definitely takes himself pretty seriously in that song. Uh, so seriously. Uh, I just thought that was super funny. The kind of bing kind of stuff. Uh, are there any other songs? I know there's a. There's the Night Santa Went Crazy. Were there any ones that uh, kind of stuck out to you that we haven't mentioned um, um, coming back to this album? Since You've Been Gone is actually like a really good sort of like breakup song. Um, like a lot of his songs like are like what I like about some of his songs that are sort of bad romance songs is they sort of capture the ridiculousness of how you feel during a bad time. Like I've definitely listened to some of his songs about breakups during a breakup. And some of them are like over the top and some of them are like vaguely violent, but it's not that it's sort of that like almost. Um... And again, one of the things that I like that he captures is sort of the over emotional quality. Like, like you were saying, Trent Reznor is so serious and he means it so much in his song. And Weird Al's good at undercutting that a bit and pointing out the fact that, like, yeah, that emotion's legitimate and you do feel it, but it's also a little ridiculous to feel this way. Um, 
Another point I, I sort of was circling earlier that I want to I want to go back to real quick is that for me as a kid, I never really had control of the radio. You know, like my dad was playing the Rolling Stones or the Who, which, you know, I ended up liking. Um, or my sister was sort of playing like her music, which when I was a kid was everything from like, you know, the Backstreet Boys to, you know, Marky Mark. So Weird Al was almost for me an introduction to the songs he was often parodying. You know, like I would hear a song like Amish Paradise. I had heard Gangster's Paradise first because that was such a big song at the time. Sure. But for a lot of them, I would listen to the song and go, oh, it's a parody of this. And then I would listen to that song and be introduced to that band that way. Oh, funny. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 that makes a lot of sense. If you, it sounds like you were really uh, brought up in a very strict classic rock environment, Mike. I really was. It's uh, like a, a re-education camp for Mojo. It, it really was. And my dad was always very, because my dad was like a very big, like Midwestern rock and roll guy. Sure. And he was always very frustrated by what I enjoyed and what I didn't enjoy. And it was so mercurial. Like, I think, again, I'm not a huge, I love music, but I'm very weird about the music I like. I'm not someone who likes one specific genre. I'm not someone who knows everything about a band. Like I'll say I'm a fan of someone and then someone will be like, Oh, did you hear this? And I'll be like, absolutely not. Like, I just don't know that much for whatever reason. And so I would be like, like I would like he would play the Who for me and I'd be like, I love Tommy. I love the album Tommy. I love it. And then he'd play another Who album. I'd be like, don't, I hate it. Oh, <laughs> and really? so it was always it, like, it was always so pick and choosy. And he was so like purist. He was like, you have to know everything about this band. You have to know their history. You have to know the different musicians in the band who was in, you know, who's on this album, who's on that album, who was kicked out for whatever reason. And I just <laughs> never really picked that up. Sure. He was also frustrated because as a kid, I thought disco was really funny. So I played a lot of disco and he thought, <laughs> and he was again, one of those seventies rock guys who thought disco ruined music. And so we would literally have these arguments and that only made me enjoy disco more. And uh, he was so mad about that. And so weirdly, it was almost like he had this very traditional, I would say like sort of like traditional, again, Midwestern white guy version of what like music is and what music should be. Ironically, you know, being a dad who's like, music's only rock and roll. Sure. And because of things like Weird Al and because of, you know, my interest in even like things like my interest in video game music made me interested in electronica. Things like that were so baffling to him, but also because I was somewhat resisting what he liked and wasn't interested in a lot of what he liked, I went in the other direction. This is interesting. I feel like we're we're getting into some real issues for here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like therapy. Mike, uh, can can I ask? Were you looking for the funny in a lot of music that maybe wasn't often funny? You said that you were. You thought disco was funny and yeah. like as a concept, as a genre, or were you listening to it and you thought this could be fun to parody? I I think the the former. I think that I would listen to something and go, oh, this is super fun and. And it wouldn't be an ironic thing. It wasn't like I, it wasn't, I wasn't thinking this is so bad that I'm enjoying it. It was more like this is so over the top and so goofy that I enjoy it. Something like, ah. like I'll, I also enjoy like old timey musicals, you know, like when I listen to Singing in the Rain, it makes me laugh. And it's not because I think it's bad, but I'm just like, this is such a thing that doesn't exist and shouldn't exist anymore, <laughs> which is just this bright and cheerful, super happy music. Yeah. So it's not an ironic appreciation. It's almost, um, 
I don't know. I was sort of a gothy kid, but for some reason I was never into gothy music. And it's almost like the reverse of the goth thing where everything has to be downbeat. Everything has to be sad. To me, the music that was super bright and cheerful, it didn't, it wasn't like, oh, this cheers me up because it's so happy. But I was like, oh, this is so cool and funny. Right. That's sort of the perspective I have taken on Weird Al where like, it's really easy to look at his music from the outside and say, man, he's really taking that artist down a peg. He's really making fun of their work, but he's kind of not. He's in a way more, I think somebody mentioned before, more like respecting it and sort of more paying yeah. homage to it than, than taking the piss out of it sort of thing. So that that sort of lens that you look at uh, a lot of music with where it's like, man, this is so joyful. This is so like exuberantly what it is that it's just almost yeah. absurd to think about. I think that must be where he's coming from a little bit or was when he was making music like this. Yeah, I mean, I agree, Jason. I I don't ever get sort of a sneering quality about it because usually he's not even necessarily making fun of the song. He's just taking that song and kind of you know putting this whole kind of ridiculous perspective on it, like Amish Paradise. But I I, I always get the sense that these things, these songs, get in his head, and he kind of starts to grind on them a little bit just because he likes them. You know what yeah. I mean? And and that that's sort of the outgrowth of it. Not that. I, yeah, I don't. I don't get the sense where he's just like, "Oh, this pop music is so dumb today. I'm just going to make fun of it." It feels like he sort of hears something he thinks is really good, yeah. and then you know rolls with it. Yeah, the only song I can think of where he directly parodies the musician is "Sounds Like Nirvana," which was "Smells Like Teen Spirit," and that's such a good song, though. And reportedly, Nirvana was so happy that he did a song about them because they yeah, were, think- you know, young dudes who probably also grew up with Weird Al. I read that too. I think Kurt felt it was sort of like this weird you know validation kind of thing you know yeah. you and and you know argue, especially back then you could really argue that that might be the ultimate validation you know to, to have something that's so in pop culture that weird al would want to parody you is sort of rare rarefied territory yeah uh matt mentioned earlier that uh, or he tried to prompt if there were any songs you wanted us to play before we stop talking about bad hair day is there is there one you want us to load up just just get you talking over it um, no, I think I'm good. Like I could talk about the night Santa went crazy. That one is actually probably the most drive timey um, of them just because it's an original song about a violent Santa Claus, but it also is a catchy song. Um, but no, I'm good. I don't think we need to play that one, but around the holidays, uh, you know, kick it up, kick it up. That's not a phrase. Anyway, <laughs> kick it up. It's like <laughs> Emerald. Kick it up, kids. Come on, kids. Emerald. Yeah. It's all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> this is, wow, we're really we're Gen Z. Watch out, we're really yeah. <laughs> <Rascal>. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of thing, very hip Gen Z artists. Uh, so we're going to switch gears to maybe sort of a comedy band in their own sort of dark way. Um, album I'm very fond of that I had Mike listen to, which is uh, Steely Dan's "The Royal Scam." So I'll let you take it away, Mike. What? I don't know if you're familiar with Steely Dan. I'm, I'm sure to a degree you were, especially, I don't know if you did that pass your dad's test? It First of all, it didn't because I brought up oh. to him that I had to listen to a Steely Dan album. He's like, oh, I was never really into them. And I was like, all right. And uh, I had I had never, I, I didn't know any Steely Dan songs off the top of my head. And I'm sure I've heard Steely Dan songs before. Sure. But I did not know any off the top of my head. And I went into this... <laughs> Very, very wrongly under the impression that they were similar to Hall and Oates. I don't know why. I don't know why I thought that, but I was like, oh, it's going to be like a Hall and Oates style band. Sure. <laughs> I was so off. I yeah. was way off. Um, uh, 
I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've I listened. I've listened to it three times now. I've listened sure. to it three times. It is not my cup of tea. I, sure. I I get why people do like it, and I'm not here to shit on it. No, but it okay. is definitely an album that, as I was listening to it, I was like, after this podcast, I will never return to this album. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I have to say that you know, I'm a huge fan. And this is probably like the most Steely Dan, Steely Dan record in some ways. You know, it's I think it's kind of a hardcore Steely Dan fan, Steely Dan. Yeah. So maybe I should have picked something different. However, I think if you don't like this, I don't think there's another album. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's going to just be, right. like, oh, wow, this totally changes my mind about what Steely Dan is about. You know, they definitely right. have their thing. Um, I, well, hey, this is good. We haven't had too much negative stuff. So like, what what didn't you like about it? Or what what do you find sort of off-putting about it? Um. I get that a lot of the lyrics are ironic and some of them like are supposed to be funny, but musically, like I also went through the lyrics. I read the lyrics of each song just to make sure I was catching it. Cause I really did. Like I, I, I went into this completely blind, so I didn't go into it with a negative attitude, but I really wanted to like, make sure I understood as much as I could. You know, obviously I don't know the full history of Steely Dan or their other work, so I can't compare it, but musically it's just not, a style I like it almost not the lyrics, but musically it almost sounds like customer support hold music. <laughs> like it's just this very sort of like, it, it feels like divorce dad rock, you sure. know, like, yeah, that's why um, I like it. That's why I like it. Mike, you used to, you just described why I like it. Um, uh, no, I, like, <laughs> it, like it feels like a sad, like in a seventies movie, this is music playing while like a cop that's just been fired is walking down a New York street. And I get that that appeals to a lot of people, <laughs> Yeah, that's but perfect, it's not actually. for me. <laughs> See, these sound like compliments to me. <laughs> no, but um, I would say it, it's, it's fair to say that Steely Dan is very smooth jazz adjacent. Let's say. Yes. That, that's, that's a much more efficient way to say it. <laughs> uh, so what is the funniest thing on this album <laughs> then to you, Mike? Like you were the listening fans, to the- Easily the Fez. The Fez yeah. is the funniest one because it's just a guy saying, like, like I, I, let me, the lyrics are something like, I won't do it without my Fez on. Yeah. It's and basically that's, like a condom joke. Yeah. Shriners slash condom joke. And it's, and it is funny, but it's also just so surprising. Um, yeah. I think the Fez is the one that made me, made me laugh. And it's, it's weird because it's supposed to be funny, but I'm not laughing at it because it's supposed to be funny. I'm almost laughing at it because it's so weird. Yeah, um, can we play a little chunk? And almost, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Good. <laughs> See, but this, this to me, Mike, you, this is sort of disco-y in a way. Like that, like that, that little lick there sounds like in Animal Crossing: New Horizons when you get on an airplane. Like, it literally sounds the exact same. I wanted to wait till the totally. music wasn't playing anymore, but I get that reference. <laughs> Good guy. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. right. No, I, Holy shit. Fair, it's fair. This is, this is like kids who, kids who grew up listening to only Animal Crossing soundtracks went on to make <laughs> Animal Crossing soundtracks, but with lyrics. Yeah, lyrically, I mean, this is probably their darkest album in general. It's kind of... And just to, for a little background, these guys, you know, they're very, I, I'd say new york kind of jazz beating it guys you know in the in the 60s you know they probably really enjoy they're well they're named after the a dildo in a william burroughs book yeah. um and you know so that's the kind of dudes they are so they have this sort of i don't know very snarky kind of you know 
underground vibe in the in the kind of mid sixties kind of sense. I think. Yeah, and I can. I and the thing is, I can like totally respect it, and I do hear it. It's it's almost. It's. It, I mean, this sounds like a weird comparison, but it's almost like opera where I can respect why people like it, but it's not something that I think my brain can crack unless I like really really learned everything about it. Sure. Uh, were there any other songs that stuck out? I don't know. The Kid Charlemagne wasn't bad. Uh, Kid Charlemagne, I thought, was the catchiest one, which I weirdly found out later talking to my dad that that was the one that played on the radio the most, he said. Yes. That, that's, um, why don't we play that? Because that's a big yeah. hit, Jason. Let's, let's, let's roll into that. That was definitely the hit off the album. People will recognize the champion from the sample from the Kanye West song there. This, Matt, is a song that actually tells a story, right? Maybe you know a little bit about that. Okay. And I'm really going to not try to be like comic book guy about Steely Dan to you guys, <laughs> but it's hard. I'm, I'm resisting. Um, but yeah, this one is specifically supposedly about a guy named Owlsley Stanley. Uh, he was a Bay area guy in the sixties. Um, he, be- he basically became the ba- the grateful deads, uh, sort of sound guy and stage producer. And he made this giant PA system that they toured around with. But Owlsley was, I think he was like the son of the grandson of the governor of Tennessee or something. It's kind of rich kid, but he was basically the first guy to, successfully make LSD sort of outside of those government programs that have been doing it and, and sort of popularized LSD in the Bay area in the sixties. So he was kind of like the LSD kingpin of um, the West coast and, and maybe the country at a certain point. So that's, this is kind of loosely based on his um, tale, I guess, which you can kind of hear if you hear it again, thinking about that. Which if I had those notes, I feel like I would have enjoyed it a lot more. I, I like this. You know what? Here's the thing is I said I liked disco earlier and Tim, you know, connected to that. I liked funk as a kid. And I think this is the funkiest of the songs. Oh, yeah, easily. I mean, it starts with a clav- clavinet or whatever. The really like mm-hmm. f- jazzy, funky uh, keyboard. Um, yeah, I-, I see where that one charted. Uh, for me, Caves of Altamira. It's a small sin that that never made it to radio play as much. I, I love the-, the shit out of that song. Yeah, I like that one too. Um, Mike, were there any? What, uh, let's let's go in reverse here. What what were some of the ones you really didn't like, or was it all of them? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't hate it. I want to be clear. I respect it. I respect this. Like, I'm not like I'm not like you know a dad in a in a chair in a Michael Jackson video where you're gonna like blow me out of the you know the love seat <laughs> by playing rock. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my like, god! Is that I'm not like. George Wendt going to come into this? Yeah, I think it was like, was it George Wendt? It was someone like that. Yeah, that, that's, oh, what was that video? Black, was that the beginning of Black and White? I think that was Black and White, yeah. Oh, man, I, I miss that era where 
this is sort of a side note, but I, I really miss the era where they would give like Michael Jackson or Puff Daddy literally like $150 million to make a <laughs> video. And it would sort of like star like, you know, like George Went or like, you know, big actors in them. It was amazing. Amazing period. Yeah. I wasn't even a big fan of Michael Jackson, but I remember that video was like a media event. Like the release of that video was a major thing. And they almost um, had like, they would cut, they'd always have like cut scenes. Because like the, the full version would be like twelve minutes long, and then yeah. be in the middle of the song, and it'd be like they cut into like you know whatever Tommy Lee Jones and being like, "You got to shut down this Michael Jackson guy. He's rocking <laughs> hard, you know, and stuff like that." Um, let's see. I didn't like uh, "Don't Take Me Alive." To me, that was like the most dad of them. Yeah. Um, Sign in stranger. I I get what it's going for, but I found it so I found it annoying. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like what's weird is when I was reading the lyrics for these songs, I was like, "Oh, these are good, interesting, deep lyrics." But when I listened to the song, I was like, "This is so annoying," and I know that's a weird thing to take from it. And uh, yeah, it's almost like it's, I hate to, and again, I respect I respect it, sure. but the music of it made me hate the lyrics of it. Interesting, really. Yeah, I mean, I would say that one of the things I like about them is sort of, I guess, the dichotomy between the kind of very smooth, slick kind of pop jazz thing. And then lyrics that are oftentimes kind of kind of weird and menacing and these sort of weird little fractured short stories. Yeah. But I mean, I think you're basically recognizing the same thing, except you, you just don't like that. Right. It's the reverse. Yeah. It, it rubs me the wrong way. Jason, what was That's your really take on it? You're, I think you're well, more, you're more in the Dan, you know, like you like a lot of stuff in the zone. I do. I grew up with uh, like, just on the periphery of Steely Dan's music, I grew up with the Doobie Brothers, and there are some shared members there. Uh, so, like the sensibilities, they hit. The I don't know if, in the same way that uh, that it didn't work for Mike, I don't know if like that break between the lyrics and the exacting musicianship, I don't know if that like is part of why I like the music. I I don't know as much Steely Dan as Matt does, not nearly. Um, but like I, I'm trying to draw parallels uh, as producer yeah. between the two albums that we're bringing up and. Uh, one of the things that we all seem to have liked at least a bit about weird Al is that he is very, like very much a musician's music musician. He understands the music, even if it's not his and he knows what makes it special and he knows how to like pull it all together and make it sort of his own without like sacrificing the heart of it. Right. Uh, did the, does that sensibility, like the fact that you're able to like that in one artist not transfer over when it's like less self-aware, like in, um, like in the case of Steely Dan. I don't know if it's necessarily that, you know, it's also, I, I'm not familiar with a lot of, you know, you said you grew up on the peripheries of it. I didn't necessarily. So, you know, one of the things that probably makes this really entertaining for people who love it is that, you know, where they're going with the music, you know, why it's perfect. Cause you've heard other music that's similar to it. So you get like the musicality of it. Whereas to me, it's almost being dropped on an Island without having all of the context, the musical context around it. Whereas with weird oh, okay. Al, I do have that musical context. So it's a lot easier for me to appreciate. I know you said that you're not going to, but uh, but if you did listen to maybe one or two other Steely Dan albums, no, I'm not trying to backdoor Steely Dan to you. Yeah. I'm not trying to get you hooked through a gateway drug that is their most. No, what, what's the Steely Dan things. album that's most like Hall and Oates? Uh, honestly, Ooh. honestly, the one that I, the, the one that I love, the one that I like best is um, uh, Pretzel Logic. That's the one with Ricky. Don't lose that number. Uh, yeah, I, I 
like that's my favorite Steely Dan album of like the three, four that I know. Uh, but if you do, you think that it's like a musical style that's straight out for you. That if every other album is is kind at least is even kind of like this, that you just write it off. Or do you think that couched in enough familiarity with Steely Dan, you think you might be able to put this one up a little bit? I might be able to put it up a little bit. You know, I you know I never know. And also, this ne- it might now be something that's in my head where if it comes on later, I'm like, oh, I know this song, and somehow have absorbed it enough to enjoy it a bit more. So yeah, I could definitely check out other Steely Dan albums. I'm not like, like Steely Dan didn't do anything to my family. Uh, (laughs) So I'm definitely open up, open to checking out more. Uh, I just, I think, I think I'm like first blush, first couple listens. This wasn't my personal favorite album, but I don't hate Steely Dan for whatever reason. Yeah. I think for your dad, the one would probably be can't buy a thrill. The first album, Mm -hmm. because they're, they're a little less jazzy and a little less kind of, super slick and it's almost a little more Santana-ish at, at points oh, or something okay. like that. He I might that'd be that. his favorite. Yeah. Um do you think and this is something just that I think Steely Dan I think they're abandoned sort of has a lot of detractors and a lot of people that are really into them, like myself. I think one thing that gets kind of thrown around is that they're such perfectionists that the music almost seems a little sterile. And yeah. sort of like, is that sort of what you were getting at maybe? I think that's what I sort of meant by like hold music is it feels like a little (laughs) sterile. I also, I will say, you know, when you say jazzy, I'm not a huge smooth jazz person. Um, I don't even really like traditional jazz. I'm not, I don't hate traditional jazz, but like I'll never go to a jazz performance that is not without someone who really wants to go to that jazz performance. Sure. Um, And I have, again, nothing against the art form. It doesn't bother me. It's just more like, I think, um, the jazziness of it bumps against me, I think, stylistically. But I think you're right. Yeah, it, some of it comes off very sterile. And some of it, like, um, you know, the Fez song, I Can't Do it Without Your Fez on, it, it's a funny lyric, but it repeats so much that it almost becomes monotonous to me. Yeah, that one in particular, I mean, that is, that's, yeah, it's basically two lines to that song. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, in, a, in another artist's song, like, I don't know, a, a fish or a Grateful Dead or something like that. You'd expect that to like be built and riffed on and stuff. In Steely Dan, it is just kind of the same refrain again and again. Sometimes yeah. that works for me personally, because if it's in a good enough groove, if it's like dancing enough, if the chord progression is interesting enough, but I see how like just having the same thing over and over has, I guess, diminishing returns in value. <laughs> right. And I also have no music training. Like I took, you know, one required class in the sixth grade on music and then played the cymbals. So I like I also don't have formal training that would make me appreciate a lot of this, you know, not just experiential wise, but like, to me, I know what a chord progress chord progression is. I would not be able to tell you what's a good one. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's a cross section um, of like, musicians with their like amateur musicians with their heads up their asses and steely dan fans it's probably a big circle <laughs> yeah isn't it? yeah i'm but just I saying mean, i'm ignorant they, not that you have your head up your ass no but i mean they have they have a lot of just regular pop fans i mean they were a big band at the time especially in the 70s they were you know i think like a top 10 kind of billboard mm-hmm. artists and stuff one one jason can we play one just for me because it, i like this it's got kind of a i don't know drunk on vacation in a foreign land kind of vibe that I dig green earrings or no, sorry. Haitian divorce. That's what I'm thinking of. Sorry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we're just going to get wasted at like senior frogs together. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can hear the this crinkling is, I, I paper on, on the umbrella in, in my daiquiri. 
Yeah. But to me, it sounds like my aunt and uncle are passing a joint between each other. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly, Mike. We're getting baked with your aunt and uncle. We're just going to... And we're, we're drinking those drinks that don't taste like anything. They taste like kind of some weird Kool-Aid. And then you have one, and you're just absolutely, completely more fucked up than you've been in your life. Oh, off just like one weird, like, neon-colored drink. I think Love my it. tastes are just so impressionistic that I'm like, this is what adults listen to when I was a kid. And it has, like, <laughs> shunned it from me forever. <laughs> no. No, but honestly, smoking a joint with your uncle, that's, I think... A very core Steely Dan aesthetic, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> like your one kind of cool uncle or sort of weird uncle, you know? Yep. <laughs> uh, Matt, I don't mean to let this go unspoken. Can I... We can edit this out if uh, if it turns out it's something you don't want shared. Can you talk about your Steely Dan lyrics Twitter? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we can talk about that. Is, it, is this a publicly known thing? Um, I mean, it's not like a big secret, but I, I do run a Steely Dan Lyrics Twitter account, Steely at SteelyDanLyrics.com. So, you know, follow me. But I just, I tweet out sort of little haiku-like uh, snippets of a couple lines from uh, Steely Dan songs. It's, do it's, people been good, ever uh, it's been a good project. Mistake you, do they ever mistake you for the real Steely Dan? Oh, all the time. People, <laughs> I mean, because Steely Dan, I believe, doesn't have an official account. So I'm literally always getting mentions like, Oh man, I I can't wait to see, you know, at Steely Dan lyrics at the Iowa State Fair two weeks, man, you know, with Michael McDonald or something, you know, it's so I, I get it all the time. People totally think I'm Steely Dan. And sometimes I reply to them just to be nice and make them think that Steely Dan's out there <laughs> listening to them. You know what it's, I mean? It's funny. You should mention that. I'm looking at their at Twitter right now. The Like, I don't know if, who registered this, but at Steely Dan is an account like just at Steely Dan. The last time they tweeted was May 20. Oh, we're coming up on the 12th anniversary of this tweet. May 21st of 2008. Using Twitter <laughs> for the first time, ellipsis. 10 replies, 48 retweets, 89 likes. <laughs> and that's yeah. the only tweet. <laughs> I'm sure they just SEO, locked it down so no one else could else get it. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. I think but, SEO has really played in your favor with this account. Oh, totally. Matt. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure tons of people think I'm, I'm actually like, like Donald Fagan is really sitting there just tweeting lyrics on it, <laughs> like re- replying to their dumb tweets or whatever. But anyway, beam in hand. <laughs> he's probably a Scotch guy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. Any any final thoughts, Mike? Because uh, we could we we'd like to get you on some uh, some community questions as well. Um, no, I mean, here's the thing: is I didn't I didn't love the album, but I did appreciate a chance to listen to a band I have heard of before, but didn't know anything about. So I do appreciate the choice of it. Yeah, that's that's been one of the fun things I think that about this show with just sort of the blind picks is it it sets up some kind of odd uh, face offs and it just sort of gets you out of your usual zone uh, mm-hmm. of listening to because I certainly you know I had a lot of fun listening to Weird Al and I, it was not something I would have probably done in my free time normally or just wouldn't right. not even out of like not liking it but just never would have even occurred to me yeah um, but it, it was a lot of fun and I, it was good to to hear Al again so thanks for picking that yeah of course yeah. All right. Well, uh, if you, do you have a little more time? How are you on time, Mike? I'm good on time. Yeah, I, I have like 20 more minutes, so I can answer a couple questions. Okay. Well, right. let's let's uh, roll into some community questions. Yeah, let's take a take a couple. Um, this one actually is hot off the presses from friend of uh, Min Max, John Carson. Uh, he asks, uh, "Should Weird Al be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame?" Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, he's had I think multiple platinum albums. I know Bad Hair Day went double platinum, so. You know, economically, yes. I think artistically, yeah. I think he's such a big part of the culture that 
you know, his career has outlasted many of the people he's parodied. So I, I definitely think he should. I think he's, you know, musically a genius just because he has goofier lyrics and does songs a goofier way shouldn't exclude him any more than someone who has darker, violent lyrics should be excluded because they're not like proper in some way. Yeah. I've, I would have no problem with that. I mean, I think there's plenty of people that are, that are in there. I think there's some people that are in there like multiple times, like Steven Stills is in there as like Crosby, Stills and Nash and Buffalo Springfield. And so why can't, why can't Al be in there once, you know? Uh, over the next question comes from uh, Robbie Flanagan, who says good day tracks suits, which is that's a, that's a hell of a portmanteau, Robbie, but I appreciate it. Um, is there a song that you used to make fun of or sing ironically, but now you absolutely kind of love it? In in their case, it is a song by NSYNC. I guess Bye 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 was a big one for his sister and uh, and eventually singing it so much uh, went beyond driving him crazy into like actual appreciation and love territory. Is, has that happened to you? There's definitely been a lot of songs. The one that comes to mind first is Lucky by Britney Spears. It is a song that I thought was funny when it came out because I thought it was so dumb, but I have sung it at karaoke so much that I've like almost internalized the lyrics and feel them. That is, and if you listen to it, it is a, it is a great song. I don't know if it's like, you know, if it deserves a place in the pantheon of great songs, but it is an immensely listenable song. And it's about a female musician who's very sad about her life, which is an interesting thing for Britney Spears to put out at the time. That's interesting because... I am also going to say a Britney Spears song. Yeah, um, what's that? <laughs> because one time I went to see uh, one, one time I went to see a, a British folk guitar player named Richard Thompson, and he did this project called I think it was called Sixteen Hundred Years of Song, where he kind of did he went all all the way back to like you know madrigal like English folk music and stuff, and then all the way to the modern times. But he did this. I was I saw him in concert. He did this amazing um, cover of "Oops, I Did It Again." And sometimes just hearing something like in a different context, just as a solo acoustic song by like a like seventy year old man. Um, it was just kind of like, wow, it's like a really well-constructed song. And then, I don't know, I think a lot of that that boy band and, 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 and Britney Spears stuff of that era, like the early 2000s is actually, it's pretty well-made music in a lot of ways, pretty well-written music when, when you actually like divorce it from whatever preconceptions you had at the time. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Mike, <laughs> what, what if I just start playing Lucky by Britney Spears? What, what would yeah. happen? What are we risking? I- I could probably sing, I would say, 95% of the lyrics, and I would get one or two words wrong. All right. I'm not going to ask you to go through the whole thing, but I'm going to play this song just to see what happens. Just let's, okay. let's get a little bit crazy. Story about, about a girl named Lucky. It's like real 50s almost. Every morning, she wakes up. Knock, knock, knock. On the door. It's time for makeup. Perfect smile. <laughs> waiting for. Is this what you play when you're getting ready to go there out you go. and you're getting yourself all dialed up? I. This is such like a song that's on workout playlists. It's on just like general playlist. Like I have listened to this song so much. She's a star, but she cry, cry, cries in her lonely heart. <laughs> if there's nothing missing her life, then why do these tears come at night? Wow, <laughs> beautiful, Mike. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. No formal training, as I said. <laughs> well, a little bit of Steely Dan. Maybe that pushed you over the edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
uh, the next question, uh, or, or no, did I did I get uh, Matt's actual answer on that, or was your were you just yes, kind of oops, I did it with, again? Aha! Uh-huh. Could yeah. I get you to do the same thing that Mike no. did? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Jason. Listen, I shot my shot. Uh, next question comes from uh, a regular MinMax contributor and uh, host of the Gaming Ride Home podcast, Kyle Hilliard, who asks, is Amish Paradise actually offensive? And is Weird Al really capable of being like openly and egregiously offensive? Um, I don't think it's that offensive. Like you could, you could sort of say culturally we've moved past the point where you know the the cover of bad hair day is him sort of mm. having coolio hair yeah that might be which i feel like culturally now wouldn't be as okay at the time i don't know again i was in the sixth grade so i i don't know i don't feel like it's that offensive i mean if you mean offensive to amish people sure but they're never going to hear it um <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, like I'm sure it, I'm sure on some level it's offensive to Amish people to call their lives boring and to say that their their women are plain. That's true. But, you know, I think that's almost kind of a stretch. It's almost like saying like pa- parodying rap music m- is offensive. But then that implies that rap music is an exclusively one race genre, which itself is in some ways offensive to say. Sure. Uh, again, this is coming from like a white dude. So yeah. grain of salt with all this. I I do know that on one song, I forget what song, he used the word spaz, which he later apologized for oh. uh, because that's an offensive word yeah. in England. Yeah. And at the time he didn't know. He's a, he has like actually apologized for, like I think he said midget on an album and he sort of apologized for that later. Like he's actually been pretty good of being like, hey, at these points I didn't know this was bad, but they are bad and I shouldn't have done it. Oh, that's good. That's, yeah. that's good. He seems to try to stay on the right side of history in a lot of cases. Uh, pers- yeah. Personally, ever since I was a kid, uh, listening to... Uh, Amish Paradise gave me the idea that okay, so this was clearly I didn't know um, I didn't know Gangsters Paradise before listening to Amish Paradise. That was the first time I ever heard that beat or any part of that song. Uh, but like clearly, once I found out that it was written by uh, Coolio, I was like, okay, so this is created by an African American man. It's about like the concerns of um of of like life on the streets. But taking all of that out of context would have been the bad way to go about parodying that song in my mind. Yes. More like he completely eschewed the entire point, right? And just borrowed the musical inflection. He didn't even bother doing mm-hmm. like an accent uh, in as much right, beyond no. like Pennsylvania Dutch slightly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, no, I think you're right there. That would have been worse to try to do something the other way, I think would have been way worse. Um, and yeah. also too, you know, he might've known it because Gangster's Paradise itself really like that music and chorus is just Pastime Paradise by Stevie Wonder. So I don't know if he even like knew that song that Coolio stole basically too originally wow. could be, but yeah, if you listen to pastime paradise, it's like Coolio just like took like two bars from that song basically. And the chorus, Damn. I feel um, like my musical horizons have been expanded. Yeah. It's a good song. Good song. Um, but yeah, I guess going back to what I said before, I do feel, I mean, I, I don't, I would certainly never tell anybody if they were offended by something that they shouldn't be offended, especially if they're part of that group. But I do feel like there's sort of a good natured quality to weird Al for the most part that, kind of makes it easier to sell than maybe some people like like i'm trying to think of somebody that's more mean-spirited like maybe like the you remember the bloodhound gang yeah yeah, yeah you know yeah. what i mean like they yeah. their their humor seemed a little more kind of nasty in a way and kind of yeah sort of like uh, acerbic or acidic in a, in a way that al's al seems sort of gen- fundamentally like you know he has a positive worldview put it that way i guess 
Yeah. And like I said, like, you know, some of the drive time radio guys, their songs were a lot of those parody songs were almost about how dumb that song they were parodying is. And none of Weird Al songs have ever been explicitly like this is a bad genre or this isn't worth listening. To. No. Oh, God. Like the 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 morning zoo crews of the 80s and 90s were. I mean, oh, my God. It was like a cesspool yeah. of like all kinds of isms. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Jason, let's 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 move on to the next question. Yeah. Uh, so Ethan Horn asks, uh, when you really, really want to enjoy an album, what is your go-to method? Is it Spotify and AirPods, vinyl? Do you buy it digitally, burn it to a CD? Do you, like, what, what do you do? Do you sit down in front of a high-quality audio system? Do you just pop on the old Skull Candies? It depends on the type of album. Uh, you know, if it's an album with lyrics, I'm usually listening to it when I'm walking. I live in New York, so I walk a lot of places. Um, even now, like, I listen twice, two of the times I listen to this, were sort of my quarantine breaks when I went to, I live near Central Park. So I went to Central Park and I sort of walked just listening to this album. So if it's something with lyrics, it's usually when I'm outside or if I'm sort of, you know, enjoying myself and specifically want to listen to something with lyrics. I really like a lot of music without lyrics. So I own a lot of video game vinyls. I own a lot of classical vinyls, a lot of Philip Glass music, and that I will put on a stereo and just sort of veg out to. Glass is awesome. I'm really, je- man, I'm super jealous that to me to like walk, being a lonely guy walking around Central Park, listening to Steely Dan, I'm really jealous of that experience. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I aspire to, Mike. But you're living the dream. I'm living the dream. Um, uh, I would say, you know, I mean, I, I'm pretty big into records and stuff. So I, I listen to records when I can. I mean, I've probably listened to more records in the last month more often than I've, because now I'm sort of just working in my living room in front of my stereo. And I just, so it's a lot easier for me to just put them on. So that's been actually a lot of fun. One of the few positive things of about the last month and a half. Um, but you know, it kind of varies. I'm sort of with Mike that I think uh, Spotify and like listening to work music at work sort of changed my taste to a certain degree because I just can't, I mean, I like hip hop a lot, but I just, I cannot listen to that. If I'm trying to work, you know what I mean? So yeah, I, I do think that I think that streaming and that kind of stuff and, and listening to headphones at work has sort of pushed a lot of people more towards instrumental music just because, you know, sometimes it's stuff that's very active, like it would be hard for me to listen to Bad Hair Day and try to work, right. you know what I mean? Because it's so hyper and there's so many lyrics coming at you. So right. yeah. it kind of varies. You know, there's a. Uh... We're, we're all gamesmen here, right? We're all video game Game, white guys, right? You know, well, that's yeah. Games person. (laughs) Gamesman Uh, sounds better than gamer though. It sounds much more. It kind of does. Oh, I love that so much more. (laughs) Uh, I want to throw into the ring. um, You mentioned doing like listening to instrumental music because you're, you know, sitting down working. There are several playlists on YouTube of just compilations of beautifully arranged, beautifully beautifully orchestrated uh, video game music, even if it's just pulled straight from a soundtrack that just kind of has that lo-fi hip hop vibe, but it's not at all edited. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not put through a filter or anything. And that honestly, my productivity goes up at least a good, like 20 to 25% putting that on while I, while I, while I work highly recommend. Um, if, if you're like feeling distracted or you want something to listen to that's pleasant, recognizable, friendly, but not like distractingly good, I guess. Weird way to put it. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, I want to remind people that you can, uh, if you've liked the answers to any of these questions or just liked any of the questions, you can submit one of them. If you're, a, I believe it's a Patreon uh, supporter at any tier of MinMax, uh, just before every episode, Ben puts up a post calling for questions and suggestions. Uh, we've got a Spotify playlist of songs suggested by the community. Um, this next question comes from uh, J Jason D. Uh, weird. Uh, who asks, hey guys, how are your quarantine beards coming along? I am shaving still because I like, I hate how scratchy my face gets when I grow a beard. I've tried to grow a beard twice, uh, both for different girlfriends who thought I should grow a beard. <laughs> and I just hate how scratchy it gets on my face. So I'm still shaving. Uh, literally exactly what he just said. <laughs> I, 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 shave, I shave every other day. I, I usually shave every day. I'm kind of quarantined. I might go a couple days, but yeah, I just, I can't ever get past that initial stage. You know what I mean? Okay. You fucking party poopers. <laughs> All right, Jason, that didn't go the way you wanted it. It huh? didn't, it didn't go the way I wanted. Actually, uh, I'm kidding. I look like ZZ Top right now. It's great. Hell yeah. Sunglasses and all. Yeah. And a, yeah, like a cowboy hat. It's awesome. Sharp dressed man. Uh, one of the other things we do is we take suggestions from the community for songs to listen to. Uh, we can't listen to the whole thing. We are, of course, pressed for time. But I do want to bring up uh, Joe Robert suggested a song by the band Wolfbeck, which either of you might be familiar with. Um, but uh, I know Matt has at least heard the name because I used to bark the name probably once or twice a week. At yeah, work you're a huge fan of this place. band, right? I'm a big fan of this band. It was kind of like just every time that we put it up a, a post calling for um, suggestions and questions, we approached like one for chances that it was going to be suggested because it's just like they're a really popular band over the last few years. Uh, but one of their biggest hits is a song called back pocket. It's a, a five piece fluctuating modern funk band uh, operating. I think they come from Ann Arbor, Michigan, oh. but uh, I don't know, Mike, is this, is this the first you've ever heard of the band? First I've ever heard of them, but it sounds good by what you're describing. Yeah. I'm going to play, uh, a short clip from one of their biggest hits called Back Pocket. And maybe you can give me your opinions there. Already in. Hell yeah. We got another one. This is one of the songs that, like you sang over Britney Spears, I could, I could do. Okay, I know love this it. song. I'm in. I know I'm, I'm fucking in, man. I love this. <laughs> ah, makes me so happy to hear you say that. You played. You definitely. You definitely had me listen to this before, Jason. For sure. I probably this, did. This is like their big hit, right? Kind of. Yes, uh, that's kind of what put them on the map. That song because it's God. It's so good and so simple and so fun. So like perfectly engineered and mastered. Um, they are. They too are known for like somewhat. Uh, I don't know exactly the word I'm looking of, but like just very meticulous production uh, without being like overdone um they played at madison square garden back in september and that's the like first concert i've ever been to in new york and i made a trip out there specifically so i could go with a friend they're they are nuts live i would highly recommend I didn't know, checking I didn't out know, that's awesome i didn't know you did that man that's cool yeah that was uh it was a lot of fun uh mike i hope that you're able to get some time in to listen to Wolfpack. they're fairly easy listening they're not too challenging uh not to <laughs> That sounded bad. Uh, I don't <laughs> <laughs> Mike, they're, they're kind of like, like, like baby food of music that you can just kind of like slap, All right. like slap into your ear with a, a throw me some good food. idiot yeah. music. <laughs> it's basically like the farina cream of wheat of music. You can just sort of slurp on it. Uh, <laughs> 
Okay. Wow. That's wow. <laughs> is it is it a uh, traditional spelling of Wolfpack? Actually, no. It's V U L F P E C K. It's sort of a made up word that they keep claiming means uh, Wolfpack in German. Uh, it does not. I don't think it's even a word in German. But uh, that's yeah. sort of the guys they are. They're they're just like very. I, I don't know. Uh, we, weird, assert, slightly acerbic, but very just like offbeat folks who make really really good music. Thank you very much again, Joe, for suggesting it. <laughs> I bet they were originally Wolfpack, and then they found out some like Norwegian heavy metal band was already called Wolfpack, <laughs> and I had to get clever. Not completely unlikely. Uh, and that is the end of our uh, community portion. Again, uh, please leave us a review on iTunes. We've already got a few. I won't read them on air because uh, I didn't, do not have them in front of me, full disclosure. But uh, keep them coming. If you liked what you've listened to, support MinMax on Patreon. That's MinMax with two N's. Uh, not min max with one n uh and uh and you can you can find all sorts of great content on the network i think that's where i should probably shut up yeah mike thanks so much for being a part of this we really appreciate you taking the time to to be on the show and uh, it was it was super it was fun to talk to you and I, I i hope it was fun for you it was super fun i really i really appreciate it if you ever need me back let me know this was super fun oh absolutely awesome. well cool thanks so much man and uh everyone Thank also you. follow mike drucker at mike drucker on twitter and he'll keep you updated on his newest projects 